Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the NFL Scotland podcast. 12 teams become 8 as wildcard weekend is done. We'll be picking apart the pieces from the four fascinating fixtures. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. We'll be looking back on some of the key talking points in the games. I'll be giving out our usual Scottish slanted awards. It's then on to the next round as the top four teams from the NFC and the AFC battle it out to see who will progress to Championship Sunday. And we'll round things off with some of the news items which have caught our attention this week. And all of this, I'm delighted to say, we'll be doing in the company of a euphoric Eagles fan, Ian Stephen. So we'll kick things off then by looking back at the games that just happened at Wildcard Weekend. We've had two six-seed teams beat two three-seed teams. We've seen the Chargers get revenge on the Ravens. And we saw the Cowboys just stay ahead of the Seahawks as they push back to threaten to win. But we'll kick off, first of all, in order by going to Houston and the Indianapolis Colts coming out winners 21 points to 7. Uh, a convincing victory and a start from the night that I thought was fascinating. I think it's the first time since high school that Deshaun Watson found himself more than 7 points behind at any point in any game. Which I thought was a fascinating start that came out from the not so good uh, Monday night football team. But we'll not get you started on that, we'll move on um, and we'll talk about the game. It was a bit one-sided. It was one-sided, and it's also strange given the fact that the Colts didn't score in the second half, Yeah, which was slightly bizarre from that point of view. You thought, you know, 21-0 up, I thought they controlled the game, I thought they managed the game. Uh, I think it's the advantage of playing a team, and then which coaching staff goes to work and do the, do the best thing. But to win in the same stadium uh, twice in, what, five weeks is pretty impressive. With all the hype beforehand, the clown masks and, and everything, which I thought was brilliant coming in. But I thought the Colts managed it and just showed that Andrew Luck's a classy guy. Absolutely. And, and you know, it was a, if you look at the stats over the two teams, there's actually not really that much between them. Fine, the Colts got 100 yards more, but, you know, both gave up one turnover. Um, both of them was an interception. Uh, possession time, it's pretty similar between the two. The, the, the big thing for me is that the, the Texans gave up the three sacks of which they lost 18 yards, not a single sack given up by the Colts to what is a good uh, Texans defence. It started strong and I thought that JJ Watt came out of the traps quickly, but really the, the, the Colts just managed that and battled through. Um, obviously, big differences on the run game. You look at Marlon Mack, who had 148 yards in his touchdown versus the, the rushing on the Texans. The most was Deshaun Watson himself with 76. Lamar Miller only got 18 yards. Um, that's something that the Colts have been good at. We touched on this before. They've not had a single player have over 100 yards uh, as in a single performance this season. And I'll be honest, there's no way I thought I'd be saying any of this about the Colts at the start of the season. But if, on offensive line, I think that's got to be the biggest difference for them. Andrew Luck's come back from injury and he's been given the time to do what he needs to do. He's linking up well with Mack. He's linking up well with Hilton. And that ultimately has got them into the next round of the playoffs. So I'd be interested to see if Ian sees anything from last season's Eagles in the way that Frank Reich has moved this Colts team? No. <laughs> At all? Um, it's, a difficult one to, it's a difficult one to say, actually, because it's two very kind of different offences um, and Luck is so experienced compared to the inexperienced and experiencedness of Wentz and the um, inconsistency of Foles. Um, I don't think Reich has actually had to do too much in that aspect. Uh, the biggest difference, I think, was just the GM, just bringing in the linemen to give 
uh, Luck the time and to keep him healthy. Um, Andrew Luck by far was the best player in the, the playoffs in the first wild card round. And if he hadn't got the, the shoulder injuries he had in the, the last couple of years, Andrew Luck, in my opinion, by the end of his career, you'd be putting him in the top five all time without a doubt. He's, he's that good. And you, should, you saw that that was the, the defining factor. I think the Houston Texans' defence is overhyped a little bit, mm. to be perfectly honest. Um, the secondary was disappointing. The, the secondary was disappointing. I don't think the pass rush was as good as, as maybe they're, they're hyped to be. I think Watts maybe lost a, a step. I mm. think Clowney's maybe not as great as he's, he's heralded uh, to be. And the, they couldn't stop Marlon Mack either. So um, it was a, I think it was a great performance for the Colts. I, I saw it coming. I, I, I saw that one coming. I saw the Chargers one coming, to be honest, as well. Um, but I would be very concerned about facing uh, Andrew Luck in the next round, definitely. Yeah, and obviously it's the Chiefs up next. We'll come on to that in the preview. There was a very, um, there was some game a couple of years ago in the playoffs between the two, so we'll touch on that. But you're right, you know, they've come into it on form 9 and 1, now 10 and 1 uh, in their last 11 games after what was a it's, horrible it's start. The hot hand. It's yeah. who, who is a hot hand going into the playoffs? You look at the Giants from those years ago when they were so good in the last few games at the end of the season and they carried it, they carried it through. It's, uh, that's the risk you take as being a team as good as the Rams or the Saints or the Chiefs or the Patriots, in that game that you miss, or two two games because you rest players, have you taken away momentum while the team that battles their way through and unites as a team, do they then get the momentum uh, from that? The other thing that interests me is, was Andrew Luck right all along? He took a lot of criticism because he didn't come out and talk about his shoulder, they didn't talk about how bad the injury was. Everybody just sort of glossed over it. They didn't want to give information. And Andrew Luck took his time. I think is he now vindicated because he's back, he's healthy, he's fit, and he's able to do what Andrew Luck's able to do. If a different staff had had him and tried to rush him along, or he had a different attitude to his body and tried to shortcut, it could have killed his career. So I think this vindicates him. Yeah, and I mean, from a... Fans' point of view, I'm you know I'm not a supporter of either of these two teams, but if I'm looking for one of these teams to go on and do something and actually be a threat, absolutely, I think the Colts can, and it's because of Andrew Luck. It's great to see him back. And we all worried that his arm wasn't what you know the Captain Andrew Luck account has been absolute gold, and you know we've discussed that before. Um, it's kept you going, but you know even it was talking about his side arm not being quite what it was. He needs to rebuild it, and he's totally rebuilt it. Um, he's a, a great game manager and I agree with you, I think that you know if it wasn't for his injury already we'd be talking about him up there as one of the greats. Um, I think you know he's good enough to lead this team to a Super Bowl, whether it's this season or not. You, you can't overlook how good they are um, in the, the back seven as well at Indianapolis. The two linebackers they've got, Leonard and Walker, have just been uh, superb this season. Yeah. Um, that, again, that's been another uh, crucial kind of factor for them. They're, they're, they're good near enough everywhere. They're one of those teams where you'll struggle to find a weakness that you can uh, game plan against. The other thing that interests me is will that now make lineman picks a lot sexier in the draft? Because Quentin Nelson going at six was a great pick for them. It was the right time, right place, but it doesn't excite anyone. You know, the fan base weren't going out and popping the beer and champagne simply because they 
drafted a big lineman, but it just goes to show the difference that it makes. Fans are morons, <laughs> don't listen to <laughs> <laughs> Apart from the NFL podcast. Yeah, yeah, apart from the previous yeah. 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 <laughs> it was, it was just the, 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 that famous draft where the, the Eagles fans booed McNabb because they wanted Ricky Williams. Clearly McNabb was the better player for the, the franchise. Pick, pick the best player or build around that. If you've got the best quarterback in the league, get guys to protect him. It's, it's simple. Yeah. And I think you're right, the GM has done what needed to be done for years, you know, after the draft, we've been talking about the fact that the, the Colts didn't do anything about the O-line. They were picking the, the wide receivers, the, the quarterbacks, the sort of slightly sexier positions that get the fans talking. But this year, the, it did feel like we've got to sort the basics out. Um, they have got, both lines are much improved. And you're right, the secondary um, is really there's strong. Still, the linebackers are brilliant. still transitioning from 3-4 into 4-3. I don't think they've got the personnel, they, in fact, Damien DeSquire was playing and he was like one of the worst Eagles players in, in history. Yeah. But the, the the job that they've done has is, is been fantastic yeah. compared to last season, definitely. So definitely a big threat going forward. So on from that then, next up it was the Dallas Cowboys winning out 24-22 against the Seattle Seahawks. Um, obviously the big thing for me in this one was the fact that Janikowski got injured and that changed the total, the whole outlook for the game for the Seahawks. It meant that they were not playing for field goals, they were playing for touchdowns. Um, the Dallas Cowboys, though, did just enough to hold them out. And this one was, you talked about it on our previous pod, that this could be a defensive stalemate. And actually, there was a point in this game pretty early on, you know, end of the first quarter, we'd only had three points scored into the next quarter and the points didn't necessarily feel like they were coming quickly. Um, and at that time of the morning, I was struggling a little bit to keep myself going. Alcohol helped me a little bit, I'll be honest. But we got there. Um, second half in the final quarter got fascinating because the Seahawks came right back into it. Um, a good performance from them. I thought Russell Wilson played really well, but just not enough. And ultimately it is the, um, the, the Cowboys that progress. What was interesting this, I think this was the highest scoring game of the weekend, which yeah. I don't think we would have necessarily predicted at the time. And it was it was a strange one. I think it's been an awful lot of fuss about some of the Seattle play calling um, and Pete Carroll basically trying to deflect everything back onto him. I mean, he is the head coach. He should take, you take the credit when you win. You should take the blame when you lose. It's just, I think sometimes in a loss, people look for scapegoats rather than just thinking you lost to the better team. I thought Russell Wilson played reasonably well. I didn't think the running game was that brilliant. I mean, Chris Carson, 13 attempts, 20 yards. Needed to do an awful lot more than that. And Dallas seemed to stuff them pretty well. 73 rushing yards in total. Again, I think the linebackers at Dallas have been tremendous this year as well. Um, and I know you won't want to admit to that one, Ian, but the, the defence there is is good. Um, it's the one thing I think more so than the offence um, that seems to be carrying them through. Uh, like you say, the lack of the run game in Seattle was big and considering this was one of the best rushing teams coming into the game um, I think that ultimately was the difference. Really, if you look at it, nobody other than Tyler Lockett with his 120 yards really did anything of any great impact Um, it was a case of Wilson spraying the ball around, Um, you know Chris Carson even, (laughs) listed two receptions minus one yard, so you know and he's making it onto the list for the you know the top six or seven players on a reception's point of view. Um, losing Janikowski, obviously, he had three field goal attempts, made two of them, is an important player for them. Uh, and, you know, we can see across three of these games 
how important kickers were. Uh, you know, we'll come on to it in the two Sunday games, but this is the first one where they lose Janikowski. Changes the whole mindset. They can't rely on just getting down to the 20 to the 30, kicking for three. They had to keep pushing. You see it going for it on fourth down. Ultimately, they couldn't get it done, and that was probably the biggest difference maker. You've got to kind of question why the punters aren't used more in practice to, to practice the, the field goal kicks. I think I'm right in saying the Eagles' backup kicker is Camus Grugier Hill, who's a linebacker. Why is yeah. it not? Why is it not the punter who's already got a strong leg? Um, so it's a kind of it was weird in that situation. It makes the game more exciting from a viewpoint of you've got to push for the end zone rather than uh, settling. But ultimately, I don't think Chicago uh, settle are built for that. Mm. Because of the, their kind of makeup, they're a kind of smaller uh, team and receiver, so it's harder for them to get that. I, I think Paul was right in that Russell Wilson played well. I think it was a good game by Wilson. Mm. Um, Dallas are kind of mystifying because their secondary is, is terrible, um, but because their pass rush is so good, yeah. uh, Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory, who I both think are on contract years, possibly, so I doubt they'll both be back. Um, if you're if you're the Rams and you have got the ability to stuff them on the edge, I think you could tear that secondary apart. Um, to be perfectly honest, it felt it did feel like you say the pass rush. Wilson felt like he was under pressure a lot more than usual. They were getting closer to him than you see a lot of teams ever getting to him, and I thought that was really fascinating. And Van der Esch is a is an exciting player, and that. I just think the pressure from those guys pushing up just stopped the run game as well. Men that Watson had to go over the top um, and they just, yeah, combination of pressure, keeping it on, just didn't quite get it going at all. Interesting stat though, that this um, the Seattle Seahawks team had the longest run of straight victories in playoff openers. Nine straight victories, um, which is the longest streak in NFL history. And that's come to an end. Russell Wilson, of course, has played in four wildcard games. So that's his first defeat in a wildcard round. Um, Does that go back to the name of franchise inception? Because the, 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 they only started in the 70s, didn't they? Yeah. Um, how, I mean, they, 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 were, they went a long, long spell as being... Nowhere near the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know how far it goes back. Um, but certainly it's uh, nine straight victories in playoff openers for the Seahawks, who um, are ultimately 10 and 7 now. And the uh, playoff openers. Coming yeah. coming back to the kicking situation, you talk about you know the the Eagles backup kicker. You've got fifty three guys. You would think one out of the other fifty odd should be able to kick a ball. Going into these things, surely you've got a designated backup kicker, and you're practicing that person that whole week. I take you think about the punters. I mean, you're the punter and the kicker. What do you do all day in practice? You know, you kick yeah. a few field goals, you punt a few balls. Surely the other one should be learning the other technique. And if I'm an average kicker in college, I'd be developing both skills because surely there has to be a place for a dual threat kicker, if you like, somebody that can actually do both. And I think this is one thing that perhaps that our American friends don't understand as well as we do, you know, us coming through, through soccer and coming through rugby. You just have that ability to place kick and yeah. punt. And surely just, what, two, three weeks yeah. intensive training, you should be able to teach somebody how to... How to yeah, like you say, if they've got the skill in them to have the leg on them, then that's half the battle. It's, it's not easy to, to kick a football. Um, 
even just doing it yourself, learning the techniques yeah. is, is, is difficult to do. But you've got the best special teams, coaches yeah. in the world. You can take somebody aside with a leg to, to at least, the very least extra point, distance should be the, the range for somebody. Yeah. The, the punter could make that... Um, I don't know if it's in the union or something. The yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, it, we were chatting about wait, it. Wait till the long snapper goes down. That's <laughs> when you really start panicking. <laughs> but, that, but that's another classic example of, for a sport that seems to prepare so much, and you, you know we see the head coaches, all the charts and all the charts on the sidelines, that certain key positions seem to get overlooked. How do you not have two competent long snappers on your team? I know it's a very specialist position, but surely, again, somebody could be worked on, you know, half an hour after practice every day and you just put Build somebody through. Yeah. So when you've got somebody coming in, you've got that ability to think, well, at least he's going to find the mark. Again, for a sport that has so much in detail, it just seems that these are little things that can screw you. Now, it might happen once in a blue moon, but once it happens, you, you can be absolutely taken out. Yeah. But ultimately, ultimately, it is the Dallas Cowboys that progress. And that completed things then on Sunday morning. Next up, we had the game then between the Ravens and the Chargers. 17-23 in favour of the LA Chargers, who come through and get revenge on the Ravens. They knew what was coming this time, and they were ready for it. I think is probably the biggest difference in this one. I really enjoy watching this because I expected Baltimore to come out and play reasonably well. But I suspected, I think Ian alluded to, I thought the Chargers had this because they're a very well-organised team. And one of the things they did was they actually dropped players off the line because one of the strengths for Baltimore is to come round with a running mm. away from the front four. And they actually played more defensive backs and stepped them up. So they, they could give a yard or two, but they weren't getting the lanes that were there before in the last game. And I thought that was kind of impressive. It was it was kind of confusing because it's counterintuitive to play so many defensive backs against the run. Um, but I, I think they were confident enough that uh, they could cope with uh, the running game of um, the Ravens. And if they were going to pass, they didn't think Jackson essentially had had what it took to... And, and you saw it at times. It's come, some of these throws were, were good, but not good enough for yeah. that, that level in the, the, uh, the NFL. Um, a lot of his throws early on seemed to be out to the edge as well, rather than playing in between the hash marks. And it seemed to be the chat was about getting him to play through the hash marks. That way, that's what he was good at at college. Um, he clearly wasn't going to be able to use his leg, and you could see that they did play very well in that. Well, the, the, you can only throw through the middle of the field if, you, if you've got a lane to throw through. <laughs> yeah. So you'd have to go back and look at the All-22 and see, did... Um, did they do a good job the Chargers of closing up the gaps on the throw through um, I should actually apologise because Damon Square actually was on the Chargers team <laughs> and I knew I saw his name <laughs> and I knew it was a 3-4 team so I apologise to the Colts fans for that um, but receiving you were chatting about that the, the player with the most receiving yards on the Ravens team was uh, Kenny Dixon with 53 and that was it you know obviously Crabtree got his two receptions two touchdowns 38 yards did all right, but it felt like it, it felt like at that point of the game the Chargers were just managing it out, and actually they were okay with the Ravens coming in a little bit close. I don't think anybody really felt the the comeback was on. All the chat though was around Flacco, and it was about when do they bring Flacco in? Should they bring Flacco in? 
They didn't. Mm-hmm. And John Harbaugh didn't flinch. Was asked about it at halftime. Didn't mention it at all. Um, it's an interesting one. And in hindsight, do you think it's the wrong choice? No, because you'd admit at that point that Lamar Jackson isn't the, the player that can get you out of a situation like that. It's a learning experience from him as well. If you envisage your quarterback to be there for a long time as part of your franchise, he has to take knocks so he can learn from it and progress. And guarantee that Lamar Jackson you'll see next season will be a far more improved player, especially when passing the ball. Um, and I think Harbaugh probably did the right thing there. He was He was confident enough in his own security to be able to make that call if you're one of the coaches where you, you might be kind of on the, the bubble then you throw the guy in a desperation but yeah. I think it was ultimately the, the right move I would have brought Flacco in hmm. I would have put my arm around Lamar Jackson said it's not your day have a seat put out Joe Flacco and then I actually think you're in a, a no-lose situation because if he brings you back you're still in the playoffs and you start Lamar Jackson if you lose well, you gave the boy his chance and, you know, he's moving on and not going to be there anyway. I think there was a point in the game you could have brought him in, but I also think there was no point in bringing him in in the fourth quarter where you couldn't do anything. I think there was a point in that game where you could have brought him in and it passed and Jackson had to stay with it. I wouldn't have liked to have seen Jackson hauled out with 10 minutes to play. I think if you were going to haul him out, you would have had to give him, basically, either pull him at half-time because it wasn't working or you pull them after the first try. Yeah, so it becomes strategic rather than yeah. necessarily yeah. down to individual performance. And you could see the first couple of snaps, you know, the, the ball was loose in his hands, he was fumbling it around. He's a young guy, you know, the youngest ever to appear in the in the postseason. Uh, the, the, the day before his 22nd birthday. The, the problem is, though, with, with Flacco from the, the front office perspective, if they brought Flacco in and he stunk, and he had completely no trade value after that, yeah. They're on the hook for about sixteen million in dead money if they cut them. It changes very though when when it is, but it's it's between like twelve to sixteen million in dead money that they cannot wipe off. Yeah. With a trade, there's more movement when it comes to the the, the dead money. So it's not so much whoa we're going to get a high pick. It's more like we need to shift this guy and just get him off. It could it could have been part of the thinking of Harbaugh. Could yeah. have been. Um, one one thing I will say. See, if you go back and look at the, the scouting reports of Derman James before the season, there's a lot of people questioning whether he was should be such a high pick, whether he's, he's a, a good enough player um, with range, like sideline to sideline. He's completely destroyed a lot of critics for how well he's, he's played this season. He doesn't look like a rookie. He does not look like a rookie at all. He does not make mistakes. Yeah. He's such a good player. Getting Joey Bosa back for them has been big as well. I think that he was missing at the start of the season. Um, he disappeared out of the game, though. He did at one point, yeah. There was a there was a stage where he was um, influencing it a lot, and you're right, it almost did disappear. And again, it comes back to the tactic of putting out those seven defensive backs, but it, it really worked. Obviously, they went for pace rather than power, um, and that matched exactly what the Ravens had to, to give them. And like I say, you know, they obviously came into it. Um, 44 snaps he had. Um, I think out of it, I think a total of sixty. So could have been they were just pacing him a bit mm. because he was coming back from injury. Um, but obviously, a fascinating game. Now we talked about the importance of kickers. The one that we'll talk about here is obviously Badgley, who they're calling the Money Badger, which I still think is the 
best nickname to come out of this season. But he set a franchise record for field goals in a playoff game, connected from 21, 53, 40, 34 and 47 yards. So while we talk about some, you know, the how big it was that Janikowski went out, how big it was actually for the Chargers that he was in the game because he contributed a whole bunch of points to that victory. Or, um, or you could argue he just did his job. Yeah. That, that's what he was out there and paid to do. They had every confidence in the fact that he would do it. Um, be interesting to see if in the next game he gets hurt there's somebody coming to kick for him. Uh, just a final thing on the Joe Flacco thing. The reason, the other reason I would have brought him in, and it, it, yours is an interesting point about trade value and dead money. The guy has won you a Super Bowl. Yeah. Now, if you were only looking at that game and that game alone, and I'm not saying he would have come and necessarily won it for them, but I think they needed a change at that point. I think Harbaugh got lucky, I have to say, that Lamar Jackson hit a couple of touchdowns in the fourth quarter. If he hadn't, I think the pressure's an awful lot greater. Um, and sometimes things do work out. I would have just liked to see Flacco, if you take everything else out of it, I would have liked to have seen him in the game to see, was he mentally prepared? Could he come in and run that huddle, as he had done? Would the players have responded to him? And would it have changed the game? I would have liked to have seen that from a purely selfish fan point of view, but I appreciate there's a lot more around it. Yeah, and I think... I'm glad you've both given this because I don't know where I come down on this one and actually I think you both make really solid points on it. You're going to have to pick one of us. I, no, I'm, going to, I'm going to sit on the fence because that's my prerogative. Um, you just told us before recording that your bum was sore. <laughs> yeah. That's not a good idea. <laughs> that's going to sound weird out of context but yeah, I might have to explain some of that. There's one the NFL podcast. Um, but... I, I, you know, I think the one thing that was a sort of moot point, and it was actually on the coverage by Sky, uh, Coach Reinbold, totally knocked this out. You know, at no point should you have worried about the the mental state of Jackson if you'd taken him out, because you know what? To, as much as this is a character building thing from on the defeat, it would have been exactly the same if he'd been pulled. I think he's a young guy, and this will he'll either build from this or it'll destroy him. And if it destroys him, then he's not your quarterback, and you find out pretty early. So or if it destroys him, he's not being coached well enough afterwards. Because yeah. then you need to have somebody come to him and say, "Listen, this is why I did this. Don't worry about it. You're still a guy." Yeah. Not every coach does that. No. No, that's true. And the the other thing, I mean, it's interesting. At one point, saying that you know, with about sort of seven or eight minutes to go, Flacco could easily take his helmet, and just chucked it, and he yeah. could have walked off. But it said a lot that he sat there. He was ready. He was talking to Jackson. He put I his helmet on at one point, yeah, which I, I think was him almost the almost yeah, making his call. He's saying, put me in, coach. But he looked, of course he would be. He looked like a good teammate, whether mm-hmm. he was or not, because you can't obviously tell the conversations. Uh, I mean, it'd be funny to think he'd be sitting there going, I wouldn't have thrown that. So I wouldn't have done. You know, but he, he played, he seemed to play the part of the veteran quarterback. Steve, Steve DeBug was the, the ultimate, wasn't he? He went on to about 41 in that role as, as the guy that put his ego aside and sat with the, the younger quarterbacks and um, McNown, Josh McNown as well. Yeah, McNown, yeah. You hear that now about these guys coming in to be effectively an extra quarterback coach. Yeah. Well, uh, it turns out with McNown plays. He's played well. <laughs> he's played pretty well. But, but, and, and that can be a hard thing, although sometimes they recognise that the person that they're coaching is the better raw talent, and yeah. therefore you can make that difference. And let's be honest, J- Josh McGowan's a great example of this. He has probably earned a good few million dollars that he wasn't going to earn. You know, he could be out the game, but instead he's in the game. He's going through that sort of coaching transition. He can come in and play if he has to. Wouldn't surprise me to see Josh McGowan 
as a, a coach of some description, either, well, more likely offensive coordinator, in the next 10 years. Look at Doug Peterson and Frank Reich. Yeah. Both of them kind of career backups effectively, but they were coaching. One interesting quarterback stat for you, mm. right? See if either you can get, guess this. I'll be impressed. Who's Who has, what quarterback has got the 10th best playoff quarterback ranking? In terms of like a, quite a couple of games played, not like one guy is coming in for one pass. The the, the, the normal guys are up there in the, yeah. the top ten, but number ten will blow your mind. <laughs> How long ago are we talking? It's not going to be a Kerry Collins. He's or still playing. He's yeah. still playing. Yeah. Is it Ryan Fitzpatrick? No. All right. Okay. Oh, now that's a good one. <laughs> now that that really is. So you, you try and go through. It's not RG three or somebody, is it? No. No. Oh. Who had the most embarrassing fumble in the history of the NFL? Oh, Mark, Mark Sanchez. Sanchez. <laughs> 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 one, one through ten is Frank Foles is at number one. I think that's how I saw the yeah. top ten. But you've got like all the normal guys. <laughs> and then just like Mark Sanchez. And like I looked down and like like you had some really good quarterbacks down at like thirty or whatever, and you're like, how is that happening? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder if Mark Sanchez has got that list in his locker yeah, from Washington. <laughs> you know, if anybody asks him, what are you doing? Check the list. Check the list. Talking about good playoff performances, I wonder where Tim Tebow features on that as well, because he was a guy that rocked up in the yeah. final stages. I was, <laughs> he made a career of that. I was trying to look because I did have it. I'm trying to see if I've got it. Yeah, how about this? This is, this is playoff wins. Mm. Kirk Cousins, none. Matthew Stafford, none. Jimmy Garoppolo, none. Derek Carr, none. Andy Dalton, none. Deshaun Watson, none. Mitch Trubisky, none. Lamar Jackson, none. Tim Tebow, one. <laughs> so that, that comes from uh, Ryan Cronenberg. Now, presuming it's correct, because it's been liked by, for example, Pro Sports Extra. But Tim Tebow, for all his faults, had oh, yeah. that one Absolutely. pass for the Broncos to beat the Steelers, which was utterly hysterical. Um, I, that's one, it's one of the few plays that actually had me up on my feet and yeah. just going... Where did that go from? Because it, because he hadn't been particularly great actually in that game. But yes. So speaking about quarterbacks then that weren't particularly great, um, I'm going to come on to the Bears. He has a, a playoff career average rating at ninety nine zero. Is that high, is that higher than his regular season? It's got to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, and I think uh, Sanchez was ninety four when I saw him. I think he had a quarterback rating of ninety four. So he's so not far out the top yeah, ten. So I think Tebow's ahead of Donovan McNabb. <laughs> Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, dear. So yes, final game then, the, and uh, Ian, obviously you'll have a lot to say on this one, I'm sure, but the Chicago Bears 15, the Philadelphia Eagles 16. Uh, Corey Parkey, obviously the man whose name has been mentioned most of this, but as we were talking about well, before... I think you'll actually you know, find that the man whose name has been named most of this is the former WWE wrestler, um, known as Doink, because the double Doink... <laughs> Yeah. They actually did. They actually did a skit. Doink was a clown. Yeah. And they did the skit where another clown dressed exactly the same as Doink came in, and in the ring they did the kind of mime skit when right. they were both doing the actions. So that actually was a double Doink, <laughs> long before, and a double check. I checked because there's a billboard went up in Philadelphia that actually is a, a Doink billboard that's went up now. But Matt Bourne, who played Doink, he's been uh, passed away for two years now. But he was from Pennsylvania, so I thought he had he actually paid for yeah. a <laughs> And I don't think I've ever seen a kick hit the crossbar twice. Um, 
like hit the post, hit the crossbar and come out. Uh, we'll come on to our awards and I think that very play makes them a contender for one of our regular ones. But what a, what a performance, now, to be fair. Are, are we accepting the fact that it was touched? The kick was <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, totally was. So, yes. yeah. so if I'm Hester, am I not just a little bit hacked off I'm not getting the credit No, because all the Is he now getting the, the credit? The NFL's officially changed yeah. it to a block. Yeah, they did it this afternoon. Yeah. So, I mean, they, and, I mean the, when you look at the footage, it's subtle, yeah. but it's enough. It absolutely is enough. And he nailed it before. And do you know what? We've talked about icing the kicker before and questioned the validity of doing it. Well, do you know what? It worked an absolute treat there. Sometimes it'll go against you. The guy will miss as you ice him and then he'll kick it straight. But sometimes that'll just work out perfectly. Ironically, he saved the Eagles kicker because it was a terrible kickoff that allowed Tariq Cohen to run the ball back, um, which it should never have been allowed. But then the Eagles, this is totally taken away from the fact that the Eagles, in my opinion, looked like they got the two-point conversion. It looked like Wendell Smallwood had just, just touched the, the the imaginary plane at the goal line. And I think the Eagles were actually done out of two points at that, that point. Not even to mention the bizarre catch fumble that the referee recovered. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, again, we're going to talk about awards and I think it might not be a player that gets one of the other awards because the officials this weekend were rotten. Some, somebody tweeted, I think it was Neil Dutton, tweeted to say, if you had to explain replay to somebody in a couple of sentences, yeah. what would you say? And I basically said, replay gives the opportunity for the referees to see the play again several times from many angles to ensure that they make the wrong decision. <laughs> because yeah. that's what it looks like. Yeah. Some of the officiating. And see if it's done in real time. I've really no problem. Yeah. But when you're looking at replay, it's how still getting it can wrong. you get it the wrong? The Derek Watt one even in the Chargers game. He breached the line. But then where they then placed the... So even if he hadn't got over the goal line, he'd certainly still got two yeah, it. And then it ends up in the one yard line. You're like, what on earth? And it's, I think it was Tony Romo was covering the game. And they were just like, what is going on here? Um, well, even the SFA have come out and criticised the referees. <laughs> <laughs> Craig Levine's up the hand in at some point. He's for got a six, six match man yeah. for criticising the official <laughs> for picking the ball up. But we'll not take this away from the uh, Eagles because do you know what? You know, we went and saw the Eagles against the Saints in New Orleans. Let's talk and they about were, that. They were, they were rotten. And Vince was rotten, and they just didn't get anything going. But they did exactly. Can you just point what out that Vince the broken back at that point. <laughs> he did have a broken yeah. But they did exactly what they needed to do. Um, Trubisky was okay, but ultimately disappointing. You know, three hundred and three yards, a passer rating of eighty nine point six is not horrible. Um, but they just couldn't get it done. They couldn't get that final stage. They couldn't get the ball into the end zone. Um, for the Eagles, though, I thought they just they just played really really well. Um, Nick Foles again you know his passer rating wasn't as good but yet I come away from that thinking Foles had a really great game and I think that once again it's the postseason. you can't now discount Philadelphia see, see what the, the difference was um, it was Lane Johnson um, Khalil Mack was dis- disappeared um, you're talking about a guy here who's got a partially torn MCL Lane Johnson is, is banged up right. and Lane Johnson in the last few weeks he's stonewalled what he's stonewalled Mack uh, stonewalled somebody else it was a good rusher last season he stonewalled Miller he, great player Jason Peters is still banged up but he did well enough in, in his side as well um, it was it was just enough I think that, that got the Eagles um, passed um, good play good play in the defence by Nigel Bradham as well he, he was excellent he diagnosed a lot of plays 
um, really well for the Eagles. Um, and uh, they just need to stop Abadi Maddox biting in every single double move. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I thought he did all right, actually. He, did. he actually did play quite well. But... He, he nearly had that interception. Yeah. He always gets foot down. There's another route that he jumped. He should have got the interception uh, for as well. The interesting fact on this one as well is the Bears were plus two in turnovers on Sunday. Home teams that are plus two in the playoffs in the past 40 years are 112 to four, which is quite something. To have had that plus two turnover at home, only four teams in the last 40 years have then ultimately lost. I sometimes um, think it's, it's, it's not necessarily how you turn over, it's where you turn over. Um, if you look at the Chargers, when they had the turnovers against Baltimore, they'd actually driven down 50 yards before they turned the ball over, and therefore they weren't giving it away in prime prime time for yeah. to come back. And sometimes that's not what the, the stats show, is, is quite where on the field these things happen. But, but my question, and this is why I'm delighted Ian's here, what is the difference between the Eagles of December and January to the Eagles of November? I mean, we did see them in New Orleans, and if you were looking at it from an Eagles perspective, it was a really disappointing performance. Well, the Eagles fan next to us had his head in his hands from pretty early well, on to in be the fair, game, and it was, it was a great scene. as well, and it was ruled incomplete. <laughs> um, what, what's the difference? Um, well, the Eagles have went through 14 different players in the secondary um, this year. Um, they've got uh, guys that nobody had even heard of lining up for them, and they've taken a wee while just to... Start playing well. Russell Douglas is, is brilliant at cornerback. He he might this is a bizarre thing, but he might be the best tackling cornerback in the NFL right now. He's got something ridiculous like eight or nine tackles for a loss. That's some cornerback. Um, but but that, that's reading plays, isn't yeah, it? it, it it's, it's not just that. It's just having the ability to tackle. There's a lot of cornerbacks that refuse to to do it if if they they have to. That this is against big guys that he's tackling. It's not just. Um, a tiny wide receiver and a screen or whatever. Um, Maddox moved from free safety to corner. He was originally playing nickel. Um, Corey Grahams came back in out of injury. He's not great at free safety, but he knows what he's doing at least. Um, and on offense, it's it's just having confidence with Foles. The, the line's got a lot better. Peters has got a lot better coming back from injury. Um, the running back's a complete mishmash. Um, Sproles is, is given good impetus coming back, but he, he's always been a kind of role player. He's never been your, your main kind of ball carrier. Jeffrey's turned up in the last few weeks as well. Foles has got a lot of confidence throwing him the ball. Um, I, I, I think that's the kind of main kind of difference. Really, it's just the secondary players getting more experience and, and not giving up as many big plays. So we'll wrap it up then by discussing the awards and we'll rattle through them. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put four of my submissions and you can tell me if you disagree. So we'll start with the most Scottish-like performance, which for me has to go to the Chicago Bears to get down to the end, to, you know, the, the, the kick comes in, Terry Cohen takes it as far back as he can. They make a couple of plays, they get into field, you know, field goal position. They kick the first one, it gets iced. They kick the second one, it gets slightly tipped onto the post, onto the crossbar, back out, lose the game. If that doesn't feel like a Scottish performance, I don't know what does. And then the kicker gets roundly booed, yes. yeah. going going off. Now I think that he had four kicks that hit a, that hit the post in one game this season. Yeah. So I mean, he does have a little bit of history, but there was certainly no sympathy for him as he ran off that field. And good on him, by the way, for fronting up to the media. Yeah, I thought he, I, he's been really classy, and I think that now it's been officially tipped. 
he has to the flag has to stop completely. Some people taking it way too seriously. You know, he had four field goal attempts, he made three of them. He got more points for the team than anyone else did. So, you know, he's definitely not the person that blamed if, for if it. I, if I'm a Chicago Bears, the first thing I'm doing is I'm running over to him, putting my arm around his shoulder and I'm walking off the field with him to, to show that he's my teammate and uh, it doesn't matter. Ne- next game is all that matters now. Um, There's a lonely kind of life that, that kickers uh, can lead. Uh, the Eagles kicker ran on straight away yeah. to, to commiserate with yeah. him. Yeah. Um, and has come out since and talked about it and talked about how important it is. And I think, yeah, Jake Elliott has been really classy in that sense. So I think, you know, been really good. Uh, and I hope that I hope that Parkey's still there next year. I really do. I wonder where they will be. It feels like an easy one. And so often you see the kickers cut. Um, but in a week that we've seen, you know, how important well, they are. They're the ultimate scapegoats. They really, they really yeah. are. They're the week no, coaches yeah. just go, fire them. You think, well, wait a minute. How many bad plays have you made during the course of the game? So we'll move on to Honkin. I'm hearing no challenges on the Bears there. Move on to Honkin. For me, the Honkin goes to some of the refereeing and the officiating this week. I think that Lamar Jackson's first half performance was rank, but I think that some of the officiating has just been appalling. And like you said earlier on, it's the fact so many times they went and looked at it again and still made the a bizarre call. Just for me, they were Honkin this week. So I can understand. See when the referee picked that ball up. And you get it because there was no player near him. Now, I know they're even going to you collect are the ball. Taught, apparently, because I've read quite a few articles, you are taught, you are drilled by your coaching staff get the damn ball. Doesn't matter what's happening, get your hands on the damn ball. And I'm just surprised that perhaps the players haven't taken more flat. The referee, there was nobody coming near him. So that play, but the, there was other ones. I say the one that I thought was the touchdown that you would have put on the half yard line if that gets all the way brought yeah. back there was just so many strange strange you, calls you, the, the referee's immediately whistling for incompletes the yes. player sees it but part of me thinking in, in like the ultimate kind of gamesmanship of things pick the ball up and give it to the referee because at least you're saying there you go I didn't want you to bend but, down for it so next time when you completely lever somebody and there's a <laughs> flag against you he's going to go you know what He's a nice guy. I'll just keep that flag in the pocket. It doesn't, doesn't matter that guy's got his leg disassociated with the rest of his body. R- referees, believe it or not, are human. Yes. And if you yeah. treat them with a bit of respect and show them a little bit of empathy, you will get the 50-50 call going yeah. your way. It just happens that can way. I, can I just say, actually, talking about disassociating the leg, Alan Horns, oh, yeah. the quickest of recoveries, I hope he's back. That was, that was bad. Yeah, that was a nasty bad. one. Yeah. I was also surprised they showed the replay. Yeah. I don't think he's realised. It was like the um, Alex Smith one. When they showed the replay the first time, it was like, oh my. Uh, they apologised. They actually yeah. said yeah. sorry. I yeah. don't yeah. think they, they realised how bad it was. I mean, I, I, working in television, I know how quickly that they're under pressure to put these things up. So normally they'll call call the replay right away. Sometimes a slightly more experienced director will call for a replay that's further out, so you see that see it happening without the close up. Yeah. And I sometimes think that that's the safer play because then you've got a chance to watch on your monitor how bad it was. So go yeah. go with a high one rather than yeah. So I'm still not hearing any challenge to my honking award though, so we'll move on to the next one. He's had his porridge. I think there's a few contenders to this. I'm going to give it to Badgley of the Chargers because I think that kicking performance was brilliant. He set a new record. He got most of the points for his team. 
He ultimately is the reason that they're into the next round. And on a weekend where we saw Janikowski make the headlines, Parky make the headlines, he's done it for the positive reason. They're the easiest scapegoat, so we've got to give them the credit when they do well. So for me, he's had his porridge, you know, a great performance from Badgley. I like Marlon Mack. I thought he was outstanding in terms of you know what he brought to his team. So I would certainly put his name in the conversation as well. Not quite making it into the further porridge as the Monday night football team because I can give them a kick in. They're awful. <laughs> they are off. Yeah, they are. I mean, what's can even describe? Do, do, do you know the, the, the one that got me was they talked about JJ Watt, who's been defensive player of the year since God was a boy, talking about how batting balls down doesn't really contribute to you being defensive player of the year. I'll just get my coat. Yeah. Because if batting balls down at the line of scrimmage isn't a good thing, and given the fact he leads the league in them constantly, then... Do you know one thing that I've just thought of, that I think we should stop um, hammering them and get Monday Night Football to continue? Can you imagine like a, a snow game in Buffalo and they allow Booger to go on his thing? Just all the fans just sitting, <laughs> chucking snowballs at him for the entire game? That would be awesome. I'd buy a ticket, I'd go. <laughs> right, from there then, let's look ahead and we'll quickly scan through the games coming up this weekend and we'll do them in order. So the first game up is the Indianapolis Colts at the Kansas City Chiefs. These sides, um, the Colts lead the series 16-9. to That's 12-9 to in the regular season, 4 to nothing in the postseason. So Kansas City have never beaten the Colts in the postseason. The last time... These sides met in the postseason. Of course, it finished 45-44 to the Indianapolis Colts. That was the famous one where Andrew Luck almost supermans over and scores that great touchdown. Um, that was a brilliant game. If the game on Saturday is anything even remotely like that, we're in for a cracker. But how do you see this one going? This is the game that I most want to see. Um, and I'll put a little asterisk beside that because watching the Eagles Saints game will not be a pleasant experience because it's your own team and you get yeah. it's a different thing in terms of relaxing and watching a game the Colts and Chiefs for me okay here's this if the Colts win this do we start to talk about Andrew Luck in the MVP conversation because he's got very little talk about it now I know Mahomes has got all the categories and Drew Brees etc but at what point does he start coming back I mean he's probably nailed comeback player of the year he's probably got that over JJ Watt because he's gone further but it just at what point does he start to come into that equation that's a good question mm. it is uh, I think he's been brilliant and he is yeah for so many reasons everything that's going well with them and actually the Colts defence is the difference for me in this game we know that Kansas City can score a bunch of points and they can um, we know that the Colts can score, and that's not a great Kansas City defense. So the Colts will be able to score. The big, the the key thing here is the Colts defense is going to have to find a way to limit the Chiefs as much as possible, because actually, forty-five, forty-four doesn't necessarily feel like a ridiculous potential outcome coming into this one. Um, it's a it's a really interesting game, and I agree. I think this is probably the most. This has the potential to be the most gunslingery slobber knocker that's two weeks in a row I've used that um, but you know it, it really does feel like it could be that um, so I think it's fascinating I, I think this is the ultimate kind of trap game um, 
if, if you look at Kansas City since they lost um, their running back um, to Mr. Domestic Violence Mr. Minos yes yeah. Cream Hunt um, they've went to week 11 they played the Rams lost to the Rams um, they played the Raiders it doesn't really count <laughs> they played the, played the Ravens beat the Ravens uh, but it was close yeah it was yeah. close lost to the Chargers lost to the Seahawks then they played the Raiders again Um if I was looking at this without Andy Reid, I would say this is Colts. So Colts are going to win this game, but Andy Reid is so good when he's got a week to prepare. Yeah. You've got to wonder he's going to do something different. He's going to have a a wrinkle in there somewhere that the the Colts cannot prepare for. But it's 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 going to be a good game. It's going to be one of those games that I think is going to be tight and it's coming down in the last two minutes and and. You can see both Mahomes or, or Luck having that bit of magic in the, the, the I think logically I think the Colts are gonna probably play with um a very safe cover two or cover two shell, at least to try and limit uh, Tyree Kill getting beyond them and mm. as much as they can uh, Kelsey that they're gonna let a lot go in front of them. You'll probably find the Chiefs will have quite a few have quite a few field goal opportunities. Um, but I think it's going to be quite a close game. But it's not, it's not you would expect from a high seeded team in the playoffs taking on a, a team that had to go through the wild cards. Yeah, well, this is it, one versus six. So you know, uh, it's definitely going to be a lot closer than, like you say, with potentially the numbers would suggest. So the next game up after that then is the Dallas Cowboys traveling to the LA Rams. Uh, these sides are seventeen and sixteen in series. That's 13-12 in regular season, 4-4 four four in postseason. Um, but this is the first time they've met in the postseason since 1986. They're not two of my favourite teams, it has to be said, in terms of wanting teams to win. Uh, I'm not a huge Dallas fan, and I've not bought the Sean McVay Kool-Aid. I think he's got a lot of good players. I think, you know, in the years before he came, they'd actually built a fairly decent base. Um, and I think he's slightly overhyped. Now, when he wins the Super Bowl, I'll take that back. Because um, <laughs> you never you never know. Dallas, I think, are dangerous enough with Prescott and with Elliott. But I don't think they've got the defensive players to keep out Goff and Co. Um, and Gurley should be able to carve up enough. I would see this, if I had to predict it, as a fairly mundane LA win. It could well be. Um, I, I think the key is going to be um, Harold Donald, Aaron Donald um, because Connor Williams and Joe Looney or possibly Xavier Sufalo, um you can see um, him lining up uh, over left guard and centre. He's not going to go anywhere near Zach Martin. Um, he's going to end up being double teamed and I think he's going to open up opportunities. I think um, Gurley's going to be really interesting because a lot of the times you use Gurley in the passing game, mm. but Van Der Esch actually has proven that he's he's good against oh. the pass. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what, what happens there. They might not be able to go to Gurley as much as they want, but if he gets time, I think um, I think the Cowboys secondary is going to get picked apart. Goff is too good. Brandon Cooks is too good. Um, Robert Woods is Goff great. Is, yeah. Uh, I th- I think you're right. I think Gurley's the key to this one. And I think if they do get Gurley going, um, 
it could be an easy win for the for the Rams. Um, the one thing that the Cowboys will want to do is stop him. If they can stop him, then they've just got to deal with the secondary and hope that that doesn't turn out, that they can put pressure on Goff enough that they keep him off foot. Um, because think, you saw I, the Seahawks. I, that. I, I think if, if the, the, um, the Cowboys show they're going to play a lot of man, I think you're going to find there's going to be a lot of play action, and probably play action out of uh, the zone running game. And I think there's going to be players that get lost in the wash when, when Goff comes back out the other side. You're going to find one of those, be one of those plays when the tight end runs right across the formation, or Cooks will do the exact same deep. I think that's where they're going to be because they're going to be aggressive against against the run, and I think there's going to be a lot of space there. Um, so beyond that then we're into Sunday and then we've got the Sandy sorry no we don't oh sorry we've got the Los Angeles Chargers at the New England Patriots weather forecast at the moment is three to five inches of snow lovely that, that's that's harsh for Los Angeles is it going to be like that in New England as well <laughs> I think what's interesting is you know the Chargers I love the swagger Philip Rivers coming out and saying yep yeah, we're going home to the west coast We'll get back on the plane. We'll come back out to the East Coast on Friday. Hey, we'll be fine. We don't care these 10 o'clock games in the morning back in the West. They don't mind. They seem to have not bothered about that. Other teams have often thought you have used that as an excuse to come to the East Coast as if it was, you know, a million miles rather than several thousand. Chargers Patriots, again, what worries me if you're a Chargers fan is Bill Belichick's in two weeks to have a look at you and plan and he possibly, I mean, if we if we fancied the Chargers to beat Baltimore, the chances are Bill Belichick did as well. So he has probably been planning more, I would think, for the Chargers than for the Ravens. And that that would worry me because he can work things out in such a way that, that that's going to cause problems for the Chargers. The Chargers have, in the last 20 games against the Patriots, actually coincides with the Patriots changing from Boston to New England. Uh, since playing them in 1973, have only beaten them three times. In that time, they've only won once in New England. That was in 2005. They've only beaten the Patriots once in the postseason. That's when it was the Boston Patriots in 1964. They don't have a good record here. Um, but we've talked about this before. Philip Rivers is one of the sort of best quarterbacks that hasn't done it and gone to a Super Bowl. It doesn't have one on his finger. Um, and actually, they've shown throughout the season that they can mix it up with pretty much anybody. I'm not sure that they're going to receive a doing, nor do I think they'll give one out, but I think this could be quite a tight game. Uh, if Snow's in play, it's a game-changer. I if, think the run game for the... If Snow's in play, there's, there's, a, there's a certain way you've got to throw the football um, when it, it snows. Um, a lot of t- that's why a lot of times you see the quarterbacks wearing gloves. Yeah. Philip Rivers has got a very, very unique delivery um, the question is how effective is he going to be in snow Brady's done it so many times it's not an, an issue the spread's currently at, at four mm. um, I, I, I think if it's a snow game you're looking at 14, 18, 20 I, I, don't, I can't see the Chargers having a chance at all if it's snowing I can't see it at all got fear from Melvin Gordon as well doesn't look quite fit and you could see that even against the Ravens. How did he, how did he go off of uh, spraining his other knee yeah. and then and come, come back? back on your lower, how, what? <laughs> Obviously <laughs> determined to play, but yeah, um, yeah it, he's not quite 100% there. Um, but yeah, certainly an interesting one. Right, I'm just going to drop the mic on this one. 
Eagles at the Saints. I'm going to give you this. The Eagles lead the series 17-14. That's 16-12 in the regular season. They're 1-2 in the postseason against the New Orleans Saints. Um, they've lost the last two to the Saints in the postseason, but they beat the Saints in New Orleans in 1993. Go. Well, back in 1993, everybody beat the Saints <laughs> in New Orleans. Let's be perfectly honest. That was a good team. That. that was when they had Pat Swilling and Ricky Jackson. That was a good yeah, to be to be fair, we, we did have a decent defense, but we we never really had a great a great um, set set by there. Bobby Eberle, Keaton Cannon, uh, and all that kind of thing. But and this is this comes back to what I was talking about, Ian, about earlier in the podcast is what's changed for the Eagles. And you mentioned that secondary is a lot more competent. And they're a lot more together because they got ripped apart uh, by the Saints relatively easily. I've listened. I listened to a BS and Beer podcast, which is a New Orleans Saints podcast, and they are very concerned about the two-week layoff for the Saints because the Saints mailed it in against the Panthers with largely their second string. Drew Brees didn't even dress for the game. Neither did Alvin Kamara. The Saints are going to have to come out pretty quick and be switched on. Because I would reckon the Eagles are pretty pumped after going into Soldier Field and winning. And if you've gone into Soldier Field and won, you think, right, let's go in and, you know, let's have a go at this. It's nice. It's climate controlled. It's lovely. It's all these things that you're not going to have to face. They could go out and enjoy it. I mean, I reckon, I mean, the last time they had a best, probably better performance by the Eagles on Bourbon Street than they did in the Dome. I don't think that's going to happen this time. I think um, the... The tape of the Cowboys game, I think the Saints, I think the Eagles have pulled that straight away and, and looked exactly what, what happened in that game because the Saints were, were terrible. Um, there is one other thing that has changed since that game and it was um, the amount of disrespect that the franchise in New Orleans <laughs> displayed towards the Eagles. And that is, it is a big thing. Yeah, players I, I, are more yeah. play very, very well and the Eagles felt... Um, very slighted to have the points run up against them. I'm not 100% sure how deliberate it was by Peyton. I, I, I'm not 100% that they, they meant to do it like that. Um, but also picking on Jenkins to throw the, the touchdown over his head after splitting him out. Jenkins didn't like that. But then when the Eagles started having the kind of motif of um, making it into the playoffs and wearing ski masks, saying we're breaking in, you're not trying to let us in, we're going to break in. So the Saints tried to make a spoof on that. I think it was the running backs, I think it was Ingram and Kamara. The Eagles kind of saw that. And um, I've got a feeling in this game there's going to be a few flags yeah. for um, unsportsmanlike <laughs> roughness. I think Michael Jenkins might be tackling people with the crown of his helmet in the game, but I also think there's going to be a couple of hits going in in Nick Foles that are bordering on legality. Peyton's got a history of this in the playoffs. He's willing to bend the rules to the point of the NFL asking him to sit quietly on the side for a while while somebody else coaches. And Foles is hurting, his, his ribs are sore. The hit he took from Clowney, I think, is underplayed. You'll probably find after the season, the Foles has actually got cracked ribs or fractured ribs. I would be yeah. surprised to release that information. So the main difference, I think, is that as long as, the, as well as the Eagles get more experience in their secondary, I think it's the, the kind of level of um, animosity, I think, it's going to be raised uh, quite 
alarmingly in the game. But I think the Saints have got the best home field advantage of any team in the NFL. Not just the loudness of the dome, but the way the Saints are built. Yeah. If the Saints were going in the Patriots um, in the snow game, I would chuck the house on the Patriots winning. I don't yeah. think the Saints would ever win that game. But a dome, a dome game, the way the, the Saints are built, I think it's the, the Saints to lose. I think it's going to take something extraordinary. The Eagles would need to jump out to that 14-17 point lead, I think, for any chance of a victory. It'll be closer. And I think, actually, you've both, for me, nailed the two most interesting points on the head here. One is the Saints coming into this cold, and two, the Eagles coming in hot and angry. And actually, the start of the game could really define how the rest of it goes. It, we, it's loud in that dome. Oh. It's something else. Um, but that may well fuel the Eagles players as well. They've just been there, and in the same sense that the, the Chargers learned from their defeat to the Ravens, I'm sure that the Eagles will have picked up some stuff in that game against the Saints. I think it's a fascinating one. You know, off the two one and sixes, I, I feel like the Colts probably have a better chance flat. But if at the end of this, you tell me that the Eagles have won, do you know what? Last week, if you told me this was going to happen, they're going to beat the Bears and then they beat the Saints, I'd be like, no, there's no way. But having just seen what they did at Soldier Field, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me nearly as much. Um, I think it could be a firecracker of a game. What, one thing, one thing that will be interesting is when they they run the plays with the backup slash quarterback. Um, Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill. Taysom yeah. Hill. They split Drew Brees out wide. Now you're allowed to hit anybody within five <laughs> yards of the line of scrimmage, and Drew Brees is standing right there in front of me. What if it's Jenkins that runs across the stands? <laughs> Do you think Breeze will actually step straight out of bounds in one of those plays? Because you can hit him. You yeah. can legitimately. I'm not talking about um, like severely in, trying to injure him, but you can shove him at least. Yeah. And if Breeze falls down, yeah. you never know what can yeah. happen. Well, absolutely. I mean, there was a great tale, and I watched the documentary on NFL Europe this week, and there's a great tale of the kicker who basically would kick and then run straight off the field. Because if it was caught and run back, he wasn't getting involved because he didn't want hit. It was really that simple. It was kick and I'm off. Um, I wouldn't put... Was that Kevin Hastings? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, do you know there was a claim was partner that was so bored he asked if he could just do everything in special teams? So he would run down on kickoffs and he would actually make some... I can't remember his name, but he ended up being like a full-time special team player and he was the partner. What a brilliant. Yeah. Well, I mean, take some help. That's what he's good at. He's good in these situations. I think... Teams have got better defending them. And I think if the Saints are going to use them, they've got to use them cleverly. And I'd rather see them line up tight end position or out wide or in the backfield. I don't want to see him taking the snaps off Drew Brees. I think that's the wrong thing to do at this time of year. I think the Saints will have to be calm going in because I think the Eagles will be testy. And I think when a team comes in testy, what you want to do is try and rise above that and almost say that that's not going to bother you. But that's really easy to say it's a bit different when you're standing on the line with somebody and they're giving you a tight... You know, it's hard not to react. The, the hardest thing to do is not to use all your adrenaline in, like, the, the 10 minutes before the match where you have all those huddles and you run out and you get yourself so fired up that you're knackered for the rest <laughs> of the first quarter. And it's, it's, it sounds like a glib thing to say, but that's why veteran players are so good in knowing that they need to pace themselves. Um, and Breeze does give those kind of... Um, excitable huddles doesn't he so maybe these are the times where he's need to just kind of keep it calm because jitters in the first 
driver to. That's when we started fumble. That's when we started matching assignments. That's go back to the Ravens game where perhaps Lamar Jackson, young guy, going in suddenly went <gasps> panic. Um, I think the Saints might have slightly reset the expectations of the home crowd with that game against the Panthers because a lot of people are very unhappy with it. And I think they might get the benefit of the doubt just getting the starters back in there. And they might not expect them to put the game away in the first quarter or two. I think they might have bought themselves a little the, bit. The Saints are so good in the red zone. I, mean, I think they were the best team in the they, red zone. They are so effective. So like 16 touchdowns, no interceptions by Drew Brees. That, yeah. that's, that's the difference at this level is are you coming away with three or are you coming away with seven? Yeah. I think you're playing the MVP. I don't buy the Patrick Mahomes MVP thing at all. Drew Brees' record against teams with a winning record is much better. Drew Brees has had more uh, come from behind victories than Mahomes. I think in all the key statistical categories that you look for, you know, strength of schedule. The same strength of schedule is quite incredible. The Bears, I think, was the 30th in strength of schedule. You know, there's a lot of talk about how good they were. Their schedule wasn't that mm. tough. Although I'm still mightily impressed with what they did and how they did it with a first-year coach. But I think the Saints have come through an awful lot. And to me, Brees is the MVP. Um, and if he put, pops the Eagles away and Mahomes goes out to Andrew Luck and the Colts again, that thing will strengthen his case for that. Right, so it's sure to be a firecracker weekend. This is the time where you put your necks on the line. What's going to be the two championship games come the 20th of January? Paul, we'll start with you. Uh, Los Angeles are coming to New Orleans. Okay, that's one of them. And Los I... Angeles Chargers. <laughs> <laughs> we'll... we'll... The Saints will play them both. It won't matter. Um, I actually, I quite fancy the Colts as well. Um, and if it's going to be the snow, and I think I think you'll see the Colts going to New England. Yeah, Colts New England, I think. Um, and I personally <laughs> think that the Cowboys are going to going to win. Just to no, it's it's going to be Rams. I think it'll be Saints. Okay, no, that's fine. So I am going to agree with. Uh, you're both on the NFC, I think, that Saints-Rams feels like it's the most likely outcome. Uh, but I'm going to completely disagree. I think we're going to get an AFC West rematch and we're going to have the Chargers going into the Chiefs. I think that will be the game. And I think that that will be... Uh, we've already seen both those games in the season. Uh, actually, three times because of the Chargers-Chiefs head-to-head. I think that will be an absolute firecracker championship weekend. Um, so that's where I'm going with that one. Paul and I get six to one odds in our selection as an accumulator. So we go. That'll do nicely. <laughs> Take that. And speaking of the 20th of January Championship weekend, just a reminder as well that we've got another live event taking place at the Golf Tavern in Edinburgh. The Golf, who have very kindly sponsored this podcast for the rest of the season, so it's a great place to go and watch football. I'll actually be there this Sunday uh, for the playoffs. Paul, I'm not sure if you're coming along or not, but you're very welcome, obviously, everyone. Anyone that wants to come and join us, we're just going to go along and watch the games this weekend. But come the 20th, we'll be there. And delighted to confirm first guest as well, Sky Sports News presenter, Charles Parson. Yeah, big NFL fan, so great to have Charles along. Uh, we'll chat away to him. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It'll be great to have him. We do have other guests uh, that we're working and planned as well, so we'll be releasing that information in the run-up. But, uh, you know, what to expect on the night. The doors open at quarter past six. The, the event will start at half past six. We're basically going to do the same as we did the last time. We're going to have some giveaways at the beginning. Plenty of stuff to be won. So if you come along just for that, that'd be brilliant. We're going to have a bit of chat. We'll probably do some more MVP chat. Talk about who we think is going to win some of the awards. We'll talk specifically about the championship games. 
Uh, we'll have a little bit of a quiz possibly towards the end that we'll do during the first half. Then we'll be back at halftime to give our in uh, in the building Scottish slant halftime report. We'll do the same at full time. And the golfer working on their license at the moment as well. So fingers crossed we'll be able to do it all for the second game as well. So sure to be a brilliant uh, Sunday afternoon uh, and we'll be interested to see if we do do it in the late game who can make it all the way to the end some people have work on Monday yes some people <laughs> <laughs> pressure's on Paul um, so do get along check our Twitter and Facebook um, pages to for all the latest ticket information uh, still plenty of tickets available so we do hope to see you there on Sunday the 20th of January wearing your jerseys of course and we won't a representative from every team. We managed to get every single team represented at our first event that we had for week one. So absolutely, we want that uh, for the championship game. I've already seen one of the the one Chiefs fan is coming along again. He's put the call out saying he wants some other ones there. So if you're a Chiefs fan, come and support your fellow fans. A uh, couple of news items then, just before we wrap up, just to, to wind on it. Uh, we have to talk about the college game last night, Clemson. Who saw that coming? Me, I picked it. I, oh, before the season, I had Clemson as the national champion. Did you have them as 44 to 16 point winners over um, Alabama? Didn't, didn't have them by that much. No, I thought it'd be a lot closer. Um, the, considering how good Alabama's defence was, that was ridiculous. Uh, coming from a 19 year old quarterback as well. And on that point, so Trevor Lawrence, obviously, there's a bit of chat now about people saying that he's NFL ready, but the rules dictate that he cannot go in. There's some people questioning that. I think this has been challenged a couple of times in the past. What's your thoughts on this, though? Is it right that the NFL makes these players stick it out at college for a bit longer before they come in? Or is it a case like we talk about in Scottish football, if you're good enough, you're old enough? There was an interesting point by an NFL scout that I saw today saying the only other player he felt at such a young age could play in the NFL was Adrian Peterson. And Adrian Peterson was built like a, a tank, effectively, <laughs> when he came out. Um, I think it's probably right from that because in football you've got the, the, the unders levels a lot of times before players are released. Yeah. Um, the question is, should there be some sort of compensation for the college players? Not talking about fortunes, but enough for these guys to be able to survive effectively just day to day. Um, a lot of them don't get that. A lot of them have to take up part-time jobs. They can't receive any additional funding because it looks like it's breaking the rules um, so I would say if you're limiting the players from taking up a career then you've got to compensate them because the, the universities make multiple yeah. millions from, from what they do I think it's a really difficult one I mean I quite like the fact that they've got to you know study and work etc etc I think the opposite is with the NBA where you see guys coming into college for a year and then going into the pros they can do that if they want, the NFL just sees it in a slightly different way. For baseball, you basically, if you come out of college, you go into, I mean, if you're a really outstanding college player, you go into double A ball, which is two levels below. Um, basketball, I think, is a game that you can go in and play. There's five players on the court, and the positions are such where you can go in and slot in and play. I think it's a lot harder in the NFL. It's a lot harder in baseball because the skill level between the minor leagues and the major leagues is huge. So the NFL, it's difficult because there are so few players that look ready as a, as a freshman or as a sophomore, two years. He's a, yeah, he's yeah. a freshman. Freshman. So 
it, it's really difficult. What you don't want to see is him breaking his leg next year in the Valley of Perfection. He will, he will have a very large insurance yeah. uh, deal set up now. Because <laughs> that's what I'm sure that's what Martian Lattimore had. I'm sure he actually set up an insurance deal, I think, before he, his knee dislocated. Fournette definitely did. Fournette was the, the, the most recent player that we're talking yeah. about. Yes, skipping these these years of eligibility, he definitely had something like that. So it could be that you know it's very difficult to pay because of all the structures. But you're right; something like taking out an insurance policy for these players that you recognise are NFL ready could be a way of compensating should something happen to them to them down the road. A lot of these players are desperate to play for the for the college as well. They're fans of the 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 sport. They're fans of that particular college, possibly. Um, and you can see why um, they would want to carry it through. Of course, there's also some players that don't even play in the, the bowl games now that, that pull themselves out because it is coming into a business decision for them. So I can understand that in a bowl game that is not part of the national championship picture. Yes. I can understand that you pull out of that because part of the bowl game in your senior year is the chance to, you know, to be with your mates and your pals that you've come through four years with you know, it's not just a bowl game. It can be going to the city a few days before. You you get tours of places. So there's a big involvement thing. You don't actually have to play in the game because at the end of the day, if you win the Cotton Bowl or the Sugar Bowl, Jalen Smith's the the reason for that. Basically, to what happened to Jalen Smith just changed that. You just you. There's no point in that final game that means nothing to take to take. See, what's so real though is actually just having a freshman quarterback playing. Yeah. Because how many times now have you seen? Well, this guy's a fifth-year senior, but he's transferred to two junior colleges, and then he transferred to Oklahoma, and then he transferred here to play his final year. He's thirty-two. Yeah, <laughs> and, and to be fair, he did have a stop at Falkirk as yeah. well, um, just to try and help them out of the championship for a spell. So, well, yeah. you touch on that as well. Trevor Lawrence has become the first true freshman to win the national championship since nineteen eighty-five. So you know, it's something that doesn't happen. Who would that have been then in 1985? Because they didn't have championship games. No, I know, I don't... I, well, they did, but it was weird. It was decided by ranking rather than... Was it not just... I College football to this day bamboozles me how they do their postseason. Some of it's just utterly odd. Well, it's the Associated Press poll. It was the, it was the poll of, of writers and things like that and coaches... Um, so I'm very quickly trying to type in 1985. Wasn't, um, like Jeff, did Jeff George come out in about 89? It wouldn't have been something ridiculous like Jeff George, was it? We will Google that while we chat away. <laughs> we can go into the next point, which is about the appointment of Matt LaFleur, who has been picked up by the Green Bay Packers. He's now signed a four-year deal, so it's official. Uh, picked up as the Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator. 39-year-old. This is straight out the Sean McVay influence. Yeah. The fact that he's been gone. What do you make of that one, Paul? It's interesting because the Packers, they, they, they don't really kind of get it wrong, do they? They, <laughs> they get their guy in and he stays there for a, a long time, so it'll be interesting. A lot of the interview would be, what are his, what would his relationship be like with Aaron Rodgers? Because he seems to be this kind of grumpy old man now that, that um, the franchise is kind of tiptoeing around, so it's, it's interesting. And it's interesting as well for me that Lafleur wasn't really anything of a player. He, he was a quarterback, but he was a backup quarterback at the Omaha Beef. I think I've had some Omaha Beef. I think we had some when we were in New Orleans. Um, and then he moved on to the Billings Outlaws, played in the indoor arena in 2003, 2004, and then went on and went into offensive assistant uh, uh, Saginaw Valley State. I've probably pronounced that completely wrong. Um, Saginaw Valley State. Saginaw I'm sure... Valley I'm sure State. 
Todd Herriman's came from there. Right, okay. Yeah. I thought that was a country song, but that might, that might just <laughs> be if, me. If you go from there, he's in Central Michigan, Northern Michigan, Ashland. He was at the Houston Texans 2008-2009. Washington Redskins, he was a quarterback coach 2010-2013. Sounds like Jay Gruden's path, doesn't it? Yeah. It's not the exact path that Jay Gruden had. But he's been you know, quarterback coach, quarterback coach under Cal Shanahan at the Falcons. Um, and then he was the offensive coordinator at the Rams 2017, offensive coordinator at the Titans 2018, and now he's the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. It's an interesting one. And it's a his biggest challenge will be Aaron Rodgers. Not necessarily in a bad way, but he'll be the biggest challenge. Yeah. I, well, Aaron Rodgers had to have given it the thumbs up. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely involved there. So, yeah. So, if we go back to 1985, the Oklahoma Sooners under Barry Switzer... Uh, won the national championship. They lost one game. They finished 11-1. They were voted. Troy Aikman was the quarterback, but he got absolutely knocked out for the season. So that well-known Jamil Holway came in. Um, and, yeah, I'd never heard of him either. Uh, five foot 11, uh, biggest offensive newcomer of the year in 1985. And that was pretty much it. I don't think he went on to anywhere else. He played at the Sooners. Um, because he decided to go there because his sister supported them. Uh, he actually tore his ACL against the Oklahoma State Cowboys a couple of years later, and that really sort of finished him. Probably trying um, to tackle Barry Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> um, he did play, well, he was drafting, he went to the Raiders, played 89 and 90, uh, and then went off to the CFL to play for the BC Lions. But he was basically Troy Aikman's backup, and he went on to win that national championship. And of course, Troy Aikman famously transferred to UCLA because he couldn't get past the ball with Switzerland. Yeah, and I don't know if you noticed because it was rarely mentioned in the broadcast. Troy Aikman played for the Cowboys. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That was a point of contention for the Eagles this season. Like the majority of uh, commentators we had were like Cowboys, ex Cowboys players. Or somebody that used to play for the team we're playing. We play Tampa. We get Rodney Barber as the colour analyst. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's a conspiracy. Yeah. Well, that concludes things then for episode 35. We hope you've enjoyed listening. And again, we'd love to hear your feedback, good and bad. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter at ScotlandNFL and on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash ScotlandNFL. Thanks to all of you who've been listening, sharing and chatting about the podcast. We continue to see the numbers grow every week. Please do keep sharing this podcast with all your NFL friends and continue to let us know what you think. Make sure that you buy your tickets to join us for Championship Sunday at the Golf Tavern in Edinburgh on the 20th of January. It's sure to be a superb event. Check out our Twitter feed and Facebook page for ticket information. Thanks again to Ian for joining us. We'll be back again next week to review all the weekend's action and look ahead to Championship Sunday. Until then, enjoy your playoff football and bye for now.